Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. Hey, true crime lovers. Welcome back for another edition of Housewife of Horrors. I'm here with my faithful companion, Evil, from 3B Video. Say hello, Evil. What's up? I just got done enjoying my morning of uh, grocery store sushi. Cool. Uh... Also, before we start this episode, uh, our last episode, we talked about Terry Blair, and at the beginning of it, I was looking for uh, the tally sheet of how many people this family had killed, and I found that tally sheet, of course, right after we wrapped up, and the family in its entirety uh, killed 17 people. Uh, However, there were three, three of the nine that did not kill anybody they just did uh they just did heinous crimes of like drug trafficking assault robbery shit like that so i believe monty had that uh paper hidden from you last week if i recall (laughs) you had the your bob euchre moment right so um this week is another listener request this one comes from our listener tiffany And she had me totally intrigued with her email, and it was a case suggestion. Jeff Davis 8, it's a case about eight unsolved murders in Jennings, Louisiana between 05-09. Local police are thought to be involved. Right there, I was sold. So, this week, obviously, we are covering the Jeff Davis 8, or Jennings 8, depends on who you are. Depends on what you call it. So it wasn't the eight killings that perked your ears. It was, but there's some corruption. So the eight murders unsolved was totally piquing my interest. But she had me hook, line, and sinker with the whole police involvement, which I'll get into that and why people think that, because I I personally think I know why people think that the police are involved. Oh, I can't wait to get the evidence laid out and I can make my own judgment. Okay, so um, I ended up watching this uh, investigation discovery show called Death in the Bayou, The Jennings Eight. It was a two-part series that covered four hours and the first episode is called A Town Divided and then the second episode is called The Devil's Playground and it aired in June 16th, 17th in 2019, so obviously they made it through they made the making of the documentary in the 2018 time frame into 2019. Part two, definitely a better title. Uh, yeah, well, A Town Divided, you're ah. going to really see, and it's not even like divided, like some people think it's this person and some people think it's this person. It's literally like a social divide of class. So Anytime well, you're putting devil or hell or something like that in your title, you're instantly going to be better than the other half. So uh, this is uh, it, this takes place in uh, Jennings, Louisiana, the Jefferson Davis Parish. And if those who don't know what a parish is, it's uh, basically their fancy way of saying county. Uh, as How well did I as know 
Oh, yeah, it's basically just a fancy way of saying county. I was just bullshitting my way through life, like, parish, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Or a territory, just depend. tomato, tomato. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, as well as that whole distinction of parish and county, there's some names here that I had to actually spell out phonetically in my notes because they don't sound like they look, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um so this is an active and ongoing investigation. Uh, when I kept looking into it, the different sources, this show and another article, which I'll get to here in a, later, uh, I do keep seeing that it is believed that police are involved somehow. So this is just something that kind of will ring through this. But the town divided is basically the north side of Jennings. The population of this town, I should say, is a little over 10,000 people. That's more than I thought. Uh, yeah, it's not like a town of 12 or anything. So I was going to say 72. So the north side is the upper class, and the south side is, of course, the other side of the tracks. Are there little tra- literally tracks there? Yes, there is. Holy shit. There are, the tracks are a dividing factor in this town. Maybe this is where it started. So uh, in 2005 is when this all begins, and it's actually May 20th, 2005. Uh, the first body is discovered. Uh, a fisherman found her in the Grand Mar- uh, Marais Can- Canal about five miles from town. And this ended up being... Loretta Lewis, who was 28, uh, and apparently she was missing three days. She went missing three days before they found her in the canal. And one thing I'm going to go into about this documentary on investigation discovery is with each of the victims, they talk to somebody or somebody's that is very close. Like in this case, they speak to her brothers. Uh, her brothers Chad and Nick and they were interviewed in 2018 and they still talk about her fondly even through their tears but uh, Loretta was 28 she had two sons and this is another theme that's going to be throughout this whole story is that her death was ruled undetermined and she had drugs crack cocaine stuff like that in her system um i feel like it's important to kind of know that she had drugs in her system but then again it kind of doesn't matter because i feel like sometimes when they find out somebody's a drug addict um their murder case the isn't priority ta- goes down right it isn't taken as seriously and even though she struggled with addiction and had demons she was a person and i think her death deserves to be solved just as much as the person after her so um that that's something that kind of set a little sour with me is i don't feel i'm going i'm getting a little premature but i don't feel like this was prioritized and you know, like they they had priority and like oh thank god there's there's crack crack cocaine in her system we can take it easy on this one so they can only speculate that uh, her death was an overdose because she had this amount of drugs in her system, but there's no trauma to her body. No. But nobody really knows. The, and really, they talked to a uh, 
they talked to the pathologist that did all eight of the autopsies. Local? Uh, I can't remember if he's a local man. Definitely Louisiana State. But um, he goes into how he hates saying, determining undetermined because he feels like he failed the family. He can't give answers. He can't bring that piece of the puzzle to the table. I'd rather... I, I mean, it's not indefinite, but I'd rather have that over somebody that's trying to, like, force it a little bit to give an answer. Like, if he's truly has no idea and can't say definitively one way or another, I think I'd rather have that over trying to jump to a conclusion. Um, well, and another theme that's going to ring through this whole story is... Uh, she was last seen by her brother, Chad. She was at this gas station. It was a Phillips 66, uh, and that gas station will be a repeat thing through this as well. But she was last seen with Frankie Richard. And when I saw Frankie Richard's name on the screen, I swear to God, I thought they were going to say the guy's name was Frankie Richard. For all of us outside of Louisiana, it is spelled and pronounced like Richard. But I actually had to put the phonetic enunciation of this name so I wouldn't forget it and call him Richard. Richard. That sounds like some Waterboy shit. Like, Robert, now it's Roberto. Well, you know, they kind of have like a French Creole kind of thing down there. So, I mean, they kind of have a language of their own down there. So, but Frankie Richard is very, very well known in town. He is known to be a big drug dealer. Known as, known as Frankie Dix. A <laughs> uh, lot of crime around this guy. He is going to be a constant theme through this as well. Sounds like there's constants left and right here. Right. So it's like uh, these constant things kind of feed into my theories. But, um, yeah, we're going to get into all that. Like, this is such an onion. I know I keep talking about how, oh, this case is an onion. Oh, this case has so many layers. And I get super psyched about all these layers. Maybe the next next one you do should just be a straight, yep, he did it. Um, the next, See you next week. <laughs> I, the next week we're going to go back to my list of ideas. We're kind of out of listener requests, but I have loved all of these requests that have been sent my way. Anyway, getting back to it. Let's see, that was on May 20th, 2005, the first body was discovered. We jumped to n not even a month later, June 17th, 2005, number two is found. Uh, Ernestine Daniels um, was found in the, I don't know how to say this, so like in the French Louisiana way, but she was found in the Aquillard. Aquilard. Aquilard, sure. Uh -huh. We'll go with that. Canal, about 12 miles from town. Once again, she had drugs in her system too, but we have a little difference here. Her death is immediately ruled a homicide because her throat was slit and she had her hands were bruised up from, you know, defensive wounds, defensive struggle. Um,. Yeah, so now we have two dead bodies. We don't know if there's a connection yet because this woman was undetermined, white woman. This is a African-American lady who had her throat cut. The only connection so far is the location, and they both had drugs in their system. 
Same drugs? Uh, yes. This is kind of a constant theme as well. These women were all struggling with crack cocaine addiction. So um, in this segment of the documentary, they speak to her mother, her father, and her sister. Ernestine did have five children. I assume they're a little bit older now. But uh, she did have five children. They did not speak to any of them, which I get. I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, this is, gosh, what, 16 years old now? Right. Oh, God. So after the discovery of Ernestine, the sheriff of the area, Ricky Edwards, he was the sheriff of Jennings uh, from 1992 to 2012. You sure that's not Richard Edwards? No, it actually, (laughs) when they talk, uh, they showed news clips, they actually just pronounced it as Ricky Edwards, so there is no phonetic enunciation after his name on this one. Oh, shit. Um, anyway, Frank Ricky Edwards brought in outside agencies to assist on the investigation. Ooh. So we're two deaths into this, and now we have outside agencies coming in to help with this. Kudos for uh, not being that type of uh, lawman that's like, I can solve this shit myself. I don't need no outside help. Second murder is like, bring in the big guns. So, okay, now it's August 2005. Uh, Hurricane Katrina and Rita are ripping through Louisiana. A lot of New Orleans residents, as we know, were evacuated out because it was... A mess. Yes, it was not good what happened down there in 2005. So a lot of these evacuees were evacuated to the Jennings area, putting extra strain on police resources because now... Our population has increased. There's issues uh, of, you know, petty crimes and stuff like that. And there's just more people to monitor that now it's delaying investigations because they got to deal with shit right then and there. 911, that does kind of put some investigating these two murders on the back burner. So I think this is hindrance number one. And uh, I think a big help to the killers i'll get into Plural. that mm-hmm. i'll get into that that that's just my take i can't say killers definitively because this is un- still unsolved i mean I know, I, we're solving this shit today right so uh december 2005 witnesses come forward and identify two suspects in the ernestine case uh they name out lawrence nixon and byron chad jones Witnesses tell police that Nixon and Jones were partying with Ernestine the night she went missing. Later, when these two pop back up, they're seen covered in blood, and they are moving a large heavy trash bag from Nixon's porch to the trunk of a white car. I know how it looks. (laughs) Right. It's like, uh, this isn't... It's like what it looks like. (laughs) So, they were arrested and indicted in 2006 uh both of course pled not guilty the investigation really begins uh into like the blood evidence and all that stuff and um there was actually no blood evidence found on the porch of nixon's house then another blow to this there's no blood evidence then the witness one of them i should say totally recants their statement 
It's like, mm. I made it all up. So, of course, they got um, they have no evidence of blood. Just, They've got this recanted statement. So, just, just taking a guess. Were these two white guys? Uh, they did not say who the two witnesses were. Uh, I do try to use names as much as I can, especially with the victims, so that they, they're, you know, personalized. This, These are people. They may have been, you know, addicts, and they may have done things for money that maybe not all of us do, but I still feel like they deserve the respect of being personalized. I, I just, my first impulse is the thing. I didn't were have these name. Two, were these two white guys who were implemented in in this thing, and then their outside uh, white companions were pressuring the witness to take shit back? Um, no, that if I do have a name, I do use it, and there is no name to these two witnesses. So, now that uh, there's no blood evidence, these statement has been recanted. They have to drop the, uh, drop the charges against Nixon and Jones due to lack of evidence and unreliable witnesses. Shit just goes stale from here. 2006, of course, they were indicted. Like I said, that kind of puts us there. But so 2006 goes by. 2007, New Year's rolls by. Bam. March 2007, March 18th to be exact, Kristen Gray Lopez, but they on the missing poster, they just refer to her as Kristen Lopez, 21 years old, um, was discovered in the... Petty Jean Canal, and I had to... Petty John. It looks like Petty Jean to me, but it's Petty Jean. And this canal is about 14 miles from town. Uh, all of these... She'll be the one that's the farthest out. Everybody else has been, you know, like 5, 10 miles of town and stuff. Uh, she was missing for 12 days before her body was discovered. She was found nude except for a white sock on her right foot, and she was too decomposed to determine a cause of death, so now we're back to undetermined deaths. However, she had drugs in her system as well. It is listed as undetermined, but it is treated as a homicide, because now we're three bodies into this. Yeah, coincidence is no more. Um, something that didn't help this investigation as well is... Of course, this is the South. It is a, you know, water area that she's found. So they did determine that some of the damage done to her body was from the alligators in the canal. I'll just kind of leave it at that. But so, decomposed, so she had been there for she, a while or recently dropped there. Uh, she, well, and of course the conditions down there, it's hot, it's humid as fuck. I don't know what it's like in March, though, because this uh, is in March. Yes, this is March. I assume that it's starting to get fairly muggy and gross at this point because it is a little further south than what we are, so it's a little closer to the equator. Not, you know, super close like Central America equator, but I imagine their spring has got some more humidity to it than what we get. Louisiana folks, if anyone's out there listening, let us know what your weather's like in March. Yes, so... um in this part of the documentary, they do speak to a really close friend of hers named Hannah Connor. And, uh, Hannah Connor. 
that's going to be in her friend will come back to haunt her. But uh, so Hannah's father is named Billy Connor and his half brother. Here we go again is Frankie Richard. These are another two. Yo, Frankie. Billy will kind of be a reoccurring theme with Frankie Richard as well. Mm. Um, and once again, the same is uh, the last person that Kristen was seen with and Loretta was seen with was Frankie Richard. So now we kind of have three people, two of last seen with Frankie Richard. All of these women are dumped outside of town, all have drugs. This is starting to become a pattern. I'm starting to wonder what Frankie Richard's doing for work. Uh, he's a drug dealer. So, uh, anyway, people... <laughs> Billy Connor is also a well-known figure in town. But, however, he's known for kind of being everybody's friend. He has this camper on the side of Frankie Richard's house that everybody parties at. You want to get drugs. You want a safe place to lay your head after you party. Billy Connor's camper was the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Go where everybody knows your name. And that's Billy Connors. So um, she was last seen. Uh, she asked Hannah for a ride to a friend's house. While on the way, she tells Hannah that she got beat up and they had brass knuckles. Kristen had been caught stealing from her attacker. She showed Hannah the bruises from this beatdown and they were like all over her torso. She drops her off at the friend's house and is never seen again. Um, that story kind of plays into Hannah and Frankie Richard getting... We'll get into that. I'm jumping ahead again. A history of violence. Yes. But um, kind of remember that side note of her getting beat up and they had brass knuckles because I feel that this kind of plays into some more evidence coming down the road something that they didn't go over in this documentary but i read in another reliable article so now the community at this point is outraged terrified that these women are being found dead in the canals around jennings the police are starting to connect some more dots that these women are being targeted uh, when i said women i'm thinking they mean ladies of the evening that did struggle with addiction and one thing they have come to and then something the profiler when they get the fbi involved the profiler and the police come to the summation that the killer is familiar with the area i would think that too with the locales of where these bodies have been found this isn't you know some right off the highway shit this is back road stuff here <laughs> I mean, I feel like you got to if you know where all the canals in town are and are up to three different ones Well, and so far. Yeah, like I said, back road area, usually locals are the ones using those kind of roads and stuff. So yeah. this person, they may not be a Jennings local, but they definitely know the area. They might be a outside of Jennings in a rural area local rural. yes I can't say that too well rural the rural so a couple months goes by it's now May 12th 2007 <sighs> another body is found this one is nude as well 
this time it is Whitney Dubois. Ooh, that's fancy sounding. I like that. Yes. Um, she, unlike the others, was left in the in the road. She was, and hmm. when they talked to her, it's her niece. But since her niece and her are so close in age, they just claim that they're sisters. That she, um, Brittany, is the niece, and she said it's just easier to explain than this is my aunt and blah blah blah. So it's like the Eddie and Chavo Guerrero of of the Dubois. Right. They, uh, Brittany says that she is found in the. They found her in the fetal position, and she's somewhat in the middle of the road kind of not too far from like the water diversion gully that's on the side of roads so does that lead to maybe she was alive and died because that didn't at least that from hearing it that didn't sound like a position that's like dumped and left right so she's left at the intersection of bobby road and earl duyon road <laughs> about five miles from town um, in this part of the documentary, they speak to Brittany, her niece, Taylor, her sister, and Mike, her brother. Um, Brittany and Taylor are going to be big, big behind the movement of this case. They really, when they pledged that they would find her killer, they have really put actions behind those words. Um, they speak to these two ladies so much throughout this documentary and I'm glad that Whitney has these two fighting for her. So Whitney, she is uh, 26 and at the time of her death she had a four-year-old daughter named Beyonce. Um, one thing that uh, really resonated with me about this part of the documentary is Brittany's goal and um, this is an unfortunate reality that I feel she's not going to be able to do much longer, but it's her goal to solve what happened to Brittany before Beyonce is old enough to do all these searches, internet searches and stuff for herself. She wants to shield her from the agony of hearing about her mother being a lady of the evening, struggling with addiction hanging out with these known criminals and drug dealers in the wrong part of town. Mm -hmm. Internet sucks if you're just a average everyday person type. Internet people are fucking horrible, so tenfold if you have any kind of notoriety for anything. Um, yeah, I, unfortunately that's gonna be something uh, Beyonce will see at some point if she hasn't already but I hope she just knows that that is just, yeah, that may have happened to her mom, but her mom still loved her and that doesn't change that. So um, although the body was found in the roadway and not in water like the three before, she is nude, she has high levels of drugs and alcohol in her system, and her body was just a few miles away from Ernestine's body. Uh, and like Loretta and Kristen before her, Brittany was also, I'm not sorry, not Brittany, Whitney, I'm getting my knees mixed up, uh, Whitney was last seen with Frankie Richard. Um, 
she was last seen heading over to Billy Can uh, Billy Connor's camper that night. Uh, her sister Brittany thinks that yes, she did go there. She went there to get high, and um, she never left the camper that night. Um, there was something that went down that comes out later, but it's kind of important to the story right now, I feel. But Brittany went to her grandmother's house before she went to Frankie's camper. Uh, I'm sorry, Billy's camper, which is next to Frankie's house, so it's all Frankie and Billy's shit. So, anyway... <laughs> She went to her grandmother's house, and she was like, Hey, Grandma, I'm hungry. So, she, of course, she feeds her. She's like, Grandma, can I stay here tonight? And she's like... She didn't allow her to stay there because Whitney had a habit of taking things when... Yeah, when she would stay there. So, she wasn't allowed to stay there. Well, on her way out the door after eating dinner, um, she stole grandma's bag of prescription drugs then she headed on over to billy's camper um yeah so i feel like i know where you're going going with uh, who is responsible for this so uh not to ask you up front now but i will ask do you feel these are someone killing to kill or is this uh, some somebody or somebody's killing because they were in their world wronged and they're correct correcting them. Like I all think... these all these ladies all have drugs in the system. So is this like somebody using and can't pay anymore and they built up such a debt that now they just have to be made example of by by these uh, dealers, or is this somebody that's purposely going after uh, these ladies of the night because they have the need to kill, and it's uh, notoriously uh, known that ladies of the night kills are low on the totem pole priorities when it comes to police investigations? I think it's more than one killer, and I think it's more than one reason. But I'll get into that. <laughs> so complex right like at first i was thinking oh this is you know just like the typical lady of the night killer just targeting these women because they were women of the night those cases tend to be low priority <laughs> quote unquote easy targets but as i just kind of got more and more into this it's like i don't think and i have reasons behind all of this but i don't think it's one person Moving on. So, um, that we left off at May 12th. So, the next day is May 13th, 2007. This is where shit starts getting even weirder. See, that's the other thing I wanted to... I was... At, why I asked that, because... That's like a tendency of serial killers, is it's very methodical, planned out in the first few, but then you start getting into a berserker mode, where they start getting more and more frequent, and more and more sloppy. Uh, it was theorized that um, the first, if, if all four were done by the same person, it was theorized by police that the first three were hidden in canals, waterways, shit like that, and then Whitney was in the road. They felt that Whitney was a taunt, like 
look, I'm doing this. I'm leaving this uh. one more out in the open. So there is like some thought process behind this, but another layer to this onion, the next day after Whitney's body is discovered, a man and a woman go to Brittany's house, the niece slash sister of Whitney. He introduces himself as Jamie Trahan and his wife Camille. He, at least he says it's his wife. Brittany has no clue who they are, and they tell, they tell Brittany, we are sorry for your loss. When uh, she asked, how do you know us, he says that he knows, guess who, Frankie Richard. According to Frankie, Jamie came to his house and said, I wish there was something I could do. And Frankie says, about what? And he tells him about the girl in the road. Whitney Dubois. He takes Jamie to the Dubois family's house in an effort to piece this together like maybe the Dubois and this Jamie Trahan guy can put the pieces together. Well, why he's at Brittany's house, I'm trying to keep all my names straight, he tells her, I want to help with the funeral. And he apparently goes to the funeral home and pays with a $1,500 check. The family, of course, is immediately suspicious at this point. Jamie goes on to tell the family that he was, oh, I totally forgot. Uh, Jamie's the one who apparently discovered the body. And that's... Okay, I was like, uh, but unless that, you were like there early, well, like would that even be public information 24 well, hours later of who I, it was i feel like they disclose it kind of later in the story but i feel like you kind of need to know it now because this is when he tells Brittany that he was out driving with friends about 4 or 5 a.m when they spotted something in the road they weren't sure if it was a body or a deer jamie said he returned a couple hours later about 7 a.m and that's when he calls police yeah, because I'm definitely out casually driving with my pals at 4 o'clock in the morning. This is, I think this is a heap of shit. Oh, it definitely smells like it. Well, okay, so Jamie tells police he was back here because he was looking for a car for sale at 5 a.m. <laughs> in the middle of fucking nowhere. I need to get a car right now. So, uh, later on, it comes out that he actually had been getting high all night. <laughs> of and, course. Um, he went home so he could, like, clear out his pockets, sober up a bit, get everything incriminating off of him. And that's when he went back to what he saw in the road and wasn't sure if it was a body or a deer. I've never been, I've never confused those two things in my life. I've seen a lot of deer a lot of deer over over the years on my drives to work and back to and from early mornings i never in my life once been like is that a human being nope nope deer got me again all right so um his check for the funeral bounced yes shocker and of course Brittany and her other sister taylor they totally feel this guy is involved somehow um there is more to this story. I feel like I'm leaving you hanging here, but this, the rest of the story won't come out for another 11 years, and we have to move on to the next. Yeah. So, it's two days 
later, now we're at May 15th, police get a break in the Kristen Lopez case. That was the first one? Uh, Kristen Lopez was um, number three. Oh, okay. Yes, because there was Loretta, Ernestine, uh, Kristen, now Whitney. Yeah. Scrolling back to where I was. Anyway, they get a case, they get a break in the case. An informant testimony led, it leads to the arrest of Frankie Richard, who is already in jail for a rape of another woman. And that friend that we spoke about earlier, Hannah Connor. The police informant is Tracy Chesson. I don't know if I'm saying that last name right. This is Loretta's first cousin and Kristen's girlfriend at the time. And if you're thinking, wow, first cousin and then girlfriend of this one, yes, all the victims know each other. They all know the same people. Everybody who has spoken to them all pretty much know almost all the victims. This is like a small knit community on the south side of everybody knowing everybody if they're not related somehow. I feel like this is like the drawing the strings together moment of like, they know this one, they know this one, they, they all know the same people. Yes, it, it is like that. That's why I had to use so many names and then type out their <laughs> relation afterwards because there's so many last names that are the same. I don't know if all of them are related, uh, probably with these <laughs> once, last names, but... Once we... Uh start officially making coin for you on this podcast or we set up a patreon for you one of the two once we start getting coin for you for doing this show is when i'm going to on your behalf invest in getting the uh chalkboard with the different multicolored yarns to start pinning things up like this is for work we have and we gotta get like a printer to print out like pictures and get some tax and stuff but anyway a question mark to put next to the pictures who are you who did this Ten days later, May 25th, Hannah is released because Tracy recants her statement and she totally admits she lied. Frankie, however, remains in jail till the rape charges dropped, but then Frankie says that Tracy confessed to him about being forced to hold Kristen's head underwater. She came to him and said, and I quote, they forced me to do it but she never said who they were. So Tracy's pointing fingers at these two and then saying, uh, I made it all up, but now Frankie's saying that she was there, she was part of it kind of a thing. We're now, I mean, still, the police know nothing. Everybody's been unreliable and lying. There's been no blood evidence. There's just weird shit left and right with this. And eyewitness testimony is the worst evidence of all of them and that's ugh. okay so now we're three days down the road it's may 28th oh i'm sorry we skipped a year ahead um my it's, it's 2008 yes uh time goes by it's now 2008 uh found on the side of east rocker road not even three miles from town during a routine patrol another body is found uh she is found clothed with no shoes okay this wasn't this next detail wasn't said but i saw it when they uh i paused when they showed an article from the local paper i read it said that the body had been doused in bleach 
Hmm. Police believe she was killed elsewhere and dumped there. May 29, 2008, the police, the next day, uh, the police released the victim's identity. It was Lacona Brown, or also known as Muggy. M-U-G-G-Y, Muggy. Muggy Brown. She was 23, and she lived in Jennings with her grandmother and her son. Her grandmother, Bessie May, said that she was going to a birthday party, and she never returned. Um, Laconia did have cocaine and alcohol in her system, but it's immediately ruled a homicide because, like Ernestine, her throat was cut too. However, they didn't go into the details of the cuts on Ernestine, but Laconia had seven cuts to her neck and three behind her right ear, to be exact. Okay. Yeah. So, now we're up to five bodies. And this one's doused in bleach. Two of these ladies are black, the only two to have their throats slit, and the other three are white, undetermined, but have drugs and alcohol in their system as well. So there's no violent actions against the whites. They're just found as is. Right. No, like, clear what happened to them, but we can determine on the other two. Um, Laconia and Ernestine will be the only African Americans killed in this case. Um, but, um, anyway. Hmm. The whole seven cuts to the neck, that just kind of got to me because it's like, really, seven times? That's anger and rage. I feel like or that's somebody com- who... Or complete sloppy ineptness. Somebody One of the her. two. So we fast forward now to August 29th, 2008. Uh, Crystal Benoit Zeno, but they on the poster they just refer to her as Crystal Zeno, goes missing. Days before, she tells her mom that she knew all the victims, and then she makes this ominous comment to her mom, and she goes, her mom was saying this, and I'm quoting her mother, and this woman was so strong through this whole interview, I don't know how she managed to keep it together, but she goes, Crystal told her, what if I'm next? What if I'm the next one murdered? She was last seen at the Phillips 66. She made a call to the sheriff's department. Supposedly, she was trying to tell them who was doing the killings, but she never said any names. We fast forward now to September 11th. An unidentified body is found about four miles from town. This body has a lot of decomposition. Hunters were in the area and reported a smell. The body was found in a... Oh, I wrote that note twice, four miles from town. They couldn't ID through dental records 100% definitively identify. So they wanted to be 100%, so they ended up getting some DNA from the parents, and now they're just waiting on the DNA results. So after the discovery of this body four miles from town the family the families are feeling like the investigation is going nowhere and the families just a few days later hire 
a private detective, and his name is Kirk Menard. <laughs> so detective now Kirk. we're up to, I, I think it's like six bodies at this point. Uh, two have had their throats cut. The investigation's going nowhere. Now we got this PI involved. November 2nd rolls around 2008, and Brittany Gary, 17 years old, comes up missing. Brittany is the third cousin to Kristen Lopez, who was killed earlier. Five days goes by. Crystal's parents are at a high school football game for her dad's birthday, and she has younger siblings that go to high school. When the coroner shows up to the game to tell them that the identified body in September, it was Crystal. He shows up to the game to tell them this? You know what? The dad even goes into that. He's like, he could have waited to another time to tell us. Like, Yeah. Right. Because like, you got to get in your car. In 2008? Yes. you got to get in your car, drive from your office to this football game, locate these people at said football game, and be like, hey, guess what? I got some news for you. And it's not like breaking fucking news. It's not like this shit is crucial, need to know this moment. Yeah, why the fuck couldn't he wait till the next fucking morning? Or just leave a fucking voicemail, text, anything. Yeah, like, I would have been like, oh, he's at a game. So you know what? I'm going to call and say, hey, when you get a free moment, please get at me. I would want to know right away, but to tell somebody on their birthday at a football game, he said that they had to leave their kids there. And I'm going to ruin this guy's day no matter what. Right. I felt like that was... I really felt for the dad. That yeah, that's a, take taking a dick kick city right there, man. Just wait a day. Okay, so the sheriff Ricky Edwards is unsure if they have a serial dumper or a serial killer on their hands at this point, because only three have been determined as homicide. Uh, so this person has something to do. Uh, with the overdosing and then he dumps them to be avoid being in trouble is he strangling them and dumping them it's is he killing them and dumping them uh well obviously somebody's killing them and dumping them but so far i'm totally still leaning into like drug debts owed and they're making examples of them if you're not paying for the stuff you're using this is where you'll end up okay so Going back to Brittany, the niece-slash-sister of Whitney, Brittany's mom knew Billy Connor and Frankie Richard and even lived in the party camper for a while. Brittany, oh, I'm sorry, I meant to say Crystal. (laughs) So Um, many names. Right, and Crystal, it's, she struggles with drug addiction as well. And she, of course, obviously, if her mom knows Billy and Frankie, Crystal knows Billy and Frankie as well. And that's what I'm leaning on is, I think, are my main suspects for all this. Is like every, Everyone keeps going back to these two fuckers, Billy and Frankie, these fucking drug guys. Okay, so now we're at November 15th, and this search party is formed to look for Brittany Gary. Gary. I, want, I almost called her Gray. But um, they get to about Keystone Road, about 10 miles from Jennings. And they find Brittany Gary. Um, they don't say right away, but based on the tattoos, the description of her, 
it's her. When she's 17? Yes. Tattooed at 17. You, you can get tattooed at 17, hey, with, parental, at 17. with parental consent or a homemade gun. A homemade gun? Right. A homemade gun. Homemade gun. You've never seen a homemade tattoo gun or a prison gun? Oh. No, I was... I completely, like, you can get a tattoo. Or you can make homemade guns. Like, what? I'm sorry, a tattoo gun. No, I was like, no. Are those... Is that a thing? Can you... How do you make a gun at home? Is it like the four-bell shotgun in Phantasm? Uh, you could ask some of the prisoners, like, at San Quentin, because I know that they have, like, a... A little museum display of all the weapons made, and but I don't think any of them are making their own guns. They but it can make, be done. They can make shivs out of toothpaste and shit like that. But go on. Okay, so a few more days goes by. It's November twenty third. The criminal profiler, Doctor Maurice Godwin, that was brought in, feels that if this is the work of one killer, then he started off. We've already discussed this, but he started off placing bodies in the canal. But when he got to his fourth, he laid her in the road to taunt police. He feels that the killer spends a lot of time in Jennings and knows the community well. The killer targets these women because they're less likely to be reported missing. However, a couple of them were reported missing fairly quick, so oops on him for that one. <laughs> and he went after prostitutes with addictions. Uh, if their family went days without hearing from them or seeing them, it wasn't exactly out of the ordinary for some of these people. And that is true because a couple of the family members did talk about how, oh, she'd be gone for, you know, a few days or a week or so, but she'd always pop back up or you'd get a text, something. You would get some kind of message to let, they let them know I'm partying or whatever they were doing. I'm still here. Right. So December 18th comes around and the sheriff calls for a press conference. The task force, he has this task force of city police, the sheriff's department, the state of Louisiana, and the FBI. At that press conference in front of the press, I loved this part, Whitney and Laconia's sisters call out the sheriff about there being uh, about there being no contact between the family and the police. Like basically, Brittany goes, you know, when was the last time we heard from you? And he was like, it's been like a year and a half, which it had been a year and a half since she had gotten any kind of status update. He had openly admits it's a year and a half, but then he says that he's been in contact with people. And it's like, yeah, a year and a half ago. So the sisters, the families, they're pissed because once again, this is going nowhere. They have no leads, no nothing except for the couple of breaks they did have, which has still gone nowhere. Only breaks they've gotten is more bodies showing up. Right, like, tension is building, and the town is even more scared, because, once again, there's no evidence, and just body after body keeps turning up. Well, it gets quiet for a few months, until August 2009. Uh, this is when Nicole Guillory, 
uh, her mother, Barbara, reports her 26-year-old daughter missing. Um, Nicole has four children and also struggles with drug addiction. She has this really cool old, you know, older friend. His name, everybody refers to him as Pop. Well, uh, Pop is part of the search party. And he says that when he went around town, you know, asking around, no one knew or heard anything. Um, and he's kind of like, for a town that knows everybody, or people are all related and everybody knows everybody's business, how does no one hear or see a thing? This is kind of where Pop's stance is at, which I get, because there are people that have been coming out, yeah, I know this person, and Frankie Richard and fucking Billy Connor seem to know everybody, but once again... <laughs> they always seem, to, always seem to pop up when somebody's murdered. No one is saying anything at this point. Well, now it's August 19th, and this one's a little different too, but found next to the I-10 highway, it's Nicole Guillory. She had, of course, drugs in her system, and her death is just believed, only believed, to be asphyxiation. After her death, her mom and her friend Pop come out with things that Nicole had told them. Warning, she had been telling warning that something was going to happen to her. Uh, in a local news interview that takes place by the cemetery, her mom tells the story of her asking about her birthday cake. When her mom asked her, hey, what kind of cake you want for your birthday? Nicole said, mama, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to be here for my birthday. I won't see my birthday. Then two, three days before Nicole disappeared, she told Pop, if anything happens to me, it's the police. Her birthday was August 28th, and she was discovered 11 days before her birthday. Hmm. Right. The police. Right. I, I don't, like, I don't know how to quite process that part of the information yet, because it's chilling, and she knew, but her, she knew there was nothing she could do about it. I mean, I guess she could have left town, but how do you leave town when you ain't got no money? You don't know nobody or whatever, you know? So, later in 2009, uh, Paul Nixon, a documentary filmmaker from England, comes across the story about Brittany Geary. And he's kind of reading into it, and he's like, huh, I think I might cover this. So he comes to Jennings. He discovers that even with the creation of the task force, that the investigation is still going nowhere. The investigation from the private detective is also driving a wedge in this police investigation. Police don't trust the police or the task force and would rather talk to the PI than local law enforcement. This is kind of when they start talking to Mike Dubois, Whitney's brother. He feels the police feel this is he he feels the police doesn't think this is an important case he feels that the police think of these women as a bunch of nobodies and are not trying hard to solve this so even though we have all these anomalies and differences in their death the feeling of this over town and the, the their police action on this is felt commonly that people aren't the police aren't trying that's universal everywhere 
Well, and because of the lack of police presence on the south side of town and no movement in the investigation, many south side residents begin to believe that police are involved or involved in a cover-up. So this is where even more of the police suspicion starts to come in. Like, because when they were talking to random people on the south side, uh, each one of them were like, we think the police is involved. And I feel like they feel this way because of the lack of movement. Um, now, oh God, who was it? Nicole's words of, if it, anything happens to me, it's the police. That's a red flag. There I feel that's very chilling. However, the South Side has been feeling this before Nicole went missing, that the police were involved because, I mean, we're like fucking four years into this from the first death, I mean, and there's still nothing. I mean, that... I feel like that's just anger because they're not getting anything done. But, I mean, that's... We've only been doing not even, what, maybe ten episodes so far. And it's been pretty universal if it's a Lady of the Night thing that the police kind of don't prioritize it as a, like a, any, as, as any other crimes going on. It's kind of go sad, but it goes without saying that once it's established, oh, she was a prostitute... I don't need to be putting all my effort into this necessarily. See, and um, now something that's going to add insult to injury to this is the fact that some local officers at the time had been under investigation for wrongdoing doesn't help this case any, and it doesn't help the suspicions any. Nope. One detect they do go into it what the wrongdoings were, and it was one detective was pulled from the investigation and fined $10,000 because he bought a car from a potential witness. And then another detective, Paula Guillory, lost evidence in one case that led to her termination from the police department. And it sounds like dumb cops. Uh, police... <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get into that. <laughs> You'll see, you're selling this car? How much are you selling this for? Maybe he was with that guy who was at 4 or 5 in the morning on the back roads looking. Jamie Trahan. <laughs> He's with Jamie Trahan. i got to get that cop before Officer Dan gets it. i got to get that car. Okay, so now police are trying to do damage control, and they try to reassure everybody that the outside agencies should rule out corruption. Which I'd like to think that, okay, let's say they just get the sheriff's department is handling this. Then they get state cops involved. I can see maybe a couple of state cops getting in, you know, helping with the cover-up or something of that sort. However, they've got the FBI involved in this. I really don't think that the FBI is going to collude on this, especially... No, if anything, they're just, if they're not doing anything, they're waiting to see how much deeper it goes and how much of a wider net they can, they can uh, snag people in. Well... Another fucking kick to the knee is leads are still going to the private investigator and local media instead of this task force. In an effort to get leads coming back to the police, the task force makes a website for potential leads to be reported anonymously. Oh, God. This is now leads and rumors are flying all over town, but one name of course, keeps getting brought up. And guess who it is? Yo, Frankie! Yes. 
So Frankie has interviewed multiple stages throughout this documentary. There's a 2009 interview with him on his front porch, and then there's a couple interviews where he has aged horribly. Drugs will do that. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Um, and is he in, speak- like, in a white tank top? No. Any of these, like, the porch interview? Like, what is his I, I wardrobe? I think he is in a tank top on the porch interview. <laughs> but in the 2018 <laughs> making of this documentary, he is in a... At like a yellow button-up shirt, if I remember right. How about a mustache? Does he have like a three-day mustache? He does have facial hair, and then as the 2018 interview goes, he's very unshaven, but not beard. He's like that, I haven't shaved for a few days dirty look. Isn't it weirdly uncanny? I could almost describe this guy, and I never have no idea what he looks like. <laughs> yes. Just so you know, when I research these cases... He knows nothing about know, these cases. I so. know nothing. I'm learning about this in real time. Okay, so Frankie was interviewed in 2009 from his front porch and 2018 making of this two-part show. And he maintains that he did know them. He knew the victims. He had seen them 24 to 48 hours before they went missing. But he had nothing to do with their death. On that 2009 porch interview porch interview he openly admits he smoked crack for 20 years <laughs> he does he was like i've smoked crack for 20 years that doesn't surprise me however and he also admits he had sex with quote almost all of the victims i'm come on he's putting it out there um the the show um this two-part series even talks to his kids they look like they're in their early 20s um and neither one of his kids directly thinks he did it but his daughter lauren she says straight up she goes i don't think my daddy did it but she thinks he knows something and he ain't saying anything she thinks that there might be some involvement but he definitely knows what's going down hmm well, Frankie says he's done a multiple lie detector test, and police corroborate this. And when, I don't mean shit. When he asked uh, if he killed the girls, he passed that question. It was inconclusive, however, when they asked, do you know who killed the girls? So it sounds like he didn't do it, but I'm going to go with Lauren, that he definitely knows something. They were alive technically when I left them. He has Dying. done he has done DNA tests, and if the police, honestly, I'm going to agree with this. He's like, if the police had anything on me, they would have arrested me. They, that's true. I mean, they had him on rape charges in another case when he got arrested with Hannah. However, those were dropped, but especially since the community, uh, I mean, they would have arrested this guy. So now the community's I mean, even more pissed. I say, unless one of two things, either he he does have a connection with P- PD somehow, or they're allowing it to go on so much that they can just really just get everybody involved in this. If it's a widening net of people they need to get, see, letting it play out so they can get the list of all the people that they want to get. Like, so, like the Sopranos or some shit. Like, how far out does this go? How many people can we uh, snag in one shot? So, uh, Paul Nixon, the British film documentary maker, also believes that he is involved. If not involved, he definitely knows something. He, 
everyone is convinced Frankie Richard knows... Oh, he's guilty as fuck. It's all over him. I made a note here, and it says, when Frankie talks, he sounds like Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong? He does. He's kind of got this... I can't even impersonate. Louis, that sounds like Sling Blade. <laughs> right, that's some Sling Blade stuff. I had sex with all eight of them. <laughs> I've been smoking crack 20 years. So, anyway. I'm innocent-ish. So, 2014, the case suffers kind of a blow when Billy Connor dies. Uh, I believe they said he died from cancer, but Billy Connor dies without adding any information or answers to this investigation. So, then I start getting into a little more research besides this documentary, and I come across this article out of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, September 27, 2016. And it's titled, The Dark Truth Behind Eight Sex Workers Murdered in the Bayou. The article talks about Ethan Brown's book, Murder in the Bayou. Uh, Brown first became familiar with the case in 2010, but it wasn't until mid-2011 that he actually went to Jennings to start his research. And when he first started his research, he wasn't even really sure what direction he was going to take the story. So even though all the women died in different ways, cutthroats, possible asphyxiation, and undetermined, they were all from the same side of town, they all knew each other, they all had criminal records, drug addiction, and often supported their respective habits with, uh, with sex work. And they all banged Frankie! No, he said uh, some of the girls. Anyway, Most of them. So he's only confirming all the details that we already know, but he adds a detail that wasn't stated in the two-part investigation on Investigation Discovery. He states, and I quote, All eight victims snitched for local law enforcement about the Jennings drug trade. I feel like that piece of evidence there, that, that not piece of evidence, but that statement, if these women were informants and this guy used to be a private investigator so he knows his way around an investigation and how to get information so we're going to sit on that for a second but brown is not only a writer but a private investigator in new orleans so as a pi once again he knows his way around an investigation his jennings investigation is compiled from years of interviews with locals police or and former police sex workers and drug dealers now granted sex workers and drug dealers i wouldn't think would be the most reliable but when you keep hearing you hear it once it can be dismissed you hear it twice possibly dismissed but when you keep hearing word on the street over and over and over there's got there is truth to that i smoke I, there's fire right I truly believe that. I'm thinking Brown's believing this at this point. It was just a few days into his research when things started not sitting right with him. It was after speaking to a local drug dealer, David DeShottle, who's also known as Bowlegs, <laughs> who got this name after being shot and now he walks with a limp. But DeShottle. That's stupid. That's not a Bowlegs limp. Well, I guess it's better than Gimpy. I would... That makes more sense. Well, anyway, besides his name, DeShottle had dated two of the eight victims. 
Brown had interviewed him about the case, only to find out that DeShottle was murdered hours after the interview. <laughs> hours? Yes, hours. So going to DeShottle's house, it's obviously a crime scene, uh, only added to the something isn't right suspicions that he's having. He notices that the scene was not secured by police and that, quote, people, that's all he said, people, he didn't say who the people were, people were walking in and out of the house and even were taking things with them. That's some, that's a, that sounds like the fucking John Benet Ramsey case. Okay, he couldn't help but question, is this police incompetence or involvement? <laughs> Hours after leaving DeShottle's crime scene, he was interviewing some former Jennings police officers when he was told, and this is a direct quote, Welcome to Jennings. We're sure you've never seen anything like this in your life. What? Welcome to Jennings. We're sure you've never seen anything like this in your life. What is that supposed to mean? That means, I'm guessing those cops are saying, down here you can walk through a unsecured crime scene and nobody's going to give a shit. It's not going <laughs> to, I guess. That's how I took that. Welcome to Jennings, where police work is a foreign concept. Well, like I said, his investigation would span years, and he spent many hours speaking to sex workers and drug dealers at a popular place in town for sex and drugs, the Boudreaux Inn, where many of the victims worked and were arrested there. Uh, the motel would add another layer to this onion with allegations of a state politician frequenting the motel with some of the victims. Oh, but absolutely. Uh, side note, the Bood, the Boudreaux, Boudreaux is owned by one of the local politician's employees, but I won't get into specifics because he tried to sue Ethan Brown over the book because there's a whole chapter about the politician in this hotel. Uh, you can find those details online if you want to know more about that local politician in the Boudreaux Hotel. Most politicians are fucking corrupt and dirty as shit, so I totally believe this. This hotel, uh, this the Boudreaux Inn, is Boudreaux. now closed up. It, From my research, it closed in 2008. And I ended up finding this website called gonzoform.com. And he also has an Instagram page, but he has some amazing photos of this abandoned motel. Um, you can go on his site, gonzoform.com, along with a lot, and he has a lot of other great abandoned photos, but it was, he really captures the essence of this piece of shit motel. You and can, You can smell the politicians' corruption semen all over the walls. Um... So he, this politician addresses the allegations of police. Oh, I'm sorry, not the politician. Ethan Brown addresses the allegations of police being sexually involved with some of the victims, tampering and removal of evidence, and the fact that later victims had given information in earlier murders to only become victims themselves. So it sounds like as well as being an informant on the drug trade, some of the later victims were giving information to the police about, I guess, the first three to four victims that were killed only to become killed themselves. Um, 
and those who were working inside the investigation that tried to speak out about inconsistencies were fired from their positions. Between Brown's investigation and the police wrongdoing, mishandling, whatever you want to call it, it's an easy way, it's an easy easy to see why many believe police are involved. Bumbling. But okay, what keeps me grounded is that it was just police incompetence and not involvement is the fact that once again they brought in the FBI into this investigation. This is my grounding rod, the FBI. I would I want to believe that the FBI would have uncovered that kind of involvement, something. Mulder and Scully would. So Brown and his publisher would go on to be sued in August of 2016 by that local politician, um, but the local politician would drop the lawsuit shortly after the Senate race that he lost. (laughs) So now... Okay, December 2018, we're going to go back to Jamie Trahan going to Brittany's house, saying he wishes he could do something. He pays the $1,500 that <laughs> the bounce. bounce check. So the, Brit- the Jamie that came to Brittany's door is now in jail for petty burglary. Brittany goes uh, to his mom's house, Barbara, to pass on a message that she wants to talk to him. Jamie obviously gets the message because he calls Brittany. Brittany tells Jamie, I still think that Frankie killed Whitney. She has believed that since Jump Street, and she believes it to this day. To this day! Um, he uh, He says, I know he did. And the word on the street says he did too. He tells Brittany new information, and I quote this as well. Two days before she came up missing, I went over to Billy Connors. When I went inside the camper that was behind his mama's house, they had somebody covered up in a sheet. I didn't know if it was her for sure. Frankie Richard and them, he says, and them, rushed me out of there. I was told that she OD'd um, and with using crack cocaine and also stealing her grandmother's pills I can see how an OD could happen uh, I think you know you just never know so anyway I was told she OD'd and that's the reason why they dumped the body end quote he has obviously no evidence to back this up and Frankie obviously denies her death he goes on about how he loved these girls. They were his friends. He would have partied with them, got them high, given them the shirt off his back, but he would have never hurt them. I give him my shirt. I loved all them girls. Ain't nobody OD in here. <laughs> so, anyway, the Jennings Police Department declined to participate in the 2018 making of the Investigation Discovery documentary. However, in 2009... Paul Nixon was given, the British documentary guy, he was given full access to interview the only narcotics cop in Jennings, Danny Sims. One guy? Yeah, they only had the one narcotics cop. Not (laughs) just one cop, but just the narcotics cop. Today, Danny Sims is chief of police. 
he declined this documentary but agrees to meet with Paul Nixon again. They talk for nearly 30 minutes off camera. They weren't allowed to take anything in. Paul told him about Jamie's call to Brittany, which is new information, and the OD is new information, but didn't surprise him because he said he had heard that information before. Well, it's been over a decade and there is still no evidence, only unreliable witnesses due to addiction, community outrage from the South Side, and only speculation who is to blame and why this happened. They can't even answer how these women, minus Ernestine and Laconia, because their throats were slit, but they can't even answer how these women died. How can six deaths be undetermined like this? And Brittany brings up, we're going to go back to Miss Brittany here. She, go, she brings up a good point. When she was looking at the toxicology report, the drugs and amount are not questionable. Uh, the drugs isn't questionable, but she had a 0.421 ethanol level in her system. She says that Brittany never drank. And even if she did, legally impaired is 0.008. Her level of 0.421 is a fatal amount. If this is where she brings up the good point, if you know she has a fatal amount of alcohol in her system, then why didn't they rule it alcohol poisoning death? Why did they still determine it undetermined? This is what she wants to know. I'm sure there are some answers, some scientific answers that we're not getting, but the toxicology numbers aren't adding up for an undetermined death. This is when they bring in Dr. Terry Wilkie, who did all of the eight autopsies. He speaks publicly for the first time in this documentary. And once again, he says he feels he failed the family when he cannot determine a cause of death and determining death from alcohol poisoning is actually extremely difficult. He couldn't go into specifics because it is an ongoing active investigation. However, he said that the decomposed bodies put this investigation behind before it even started. And of course, we all know the heat and humidity will speed that up. Um, he also believes that the killer knows the area well. There is currently an $85,000 reward, and the task force is no longer operational. So I guess the lack <laughs> of... They do anything anyway. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I guess they kind of ruled out police corruption or attempted to rule that out. Okay, this is where we get into some theories. This is my theory. I feel like these women were... I think Whitney did OD... I think that she is different from this. I think she OD'd, and I think they got rid of her body in an attempt not to be in trouble. And the fact that three bodies before her body was discovered definitely helps kind of make her part of this case, even though I don't think she is part of a serial killer. I don't think that these eight women were killed by one people. I think that knowing that they were informants for the drug trade, I believe that this is the work of more than one killer. Um, 
I believe that the police incompetence, um, the weather down there, there's just so many factors that hurt this that the killers have are part of the Jennings drug trade and these women minus Whitney were killed in retribution for their informing definitely Laconia and Ernestine for having their throats cut yeah that would that says to me that they were they were informants that had something and yeah that's why they were dealt with harsh seemingly more harshly than the rest or that it's louisiana and they're just prejudiced assholes um i also agree with many of the locals that were spoken to when they say let it be someone murdered from the north side of town and this would have been solved day one yeah probably um i'm going to agree with everybody else about this killer i think it's a local i think they live among the jennings residents uh, all I'm of the killers do. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a small network of people, which may include a few uh, people on the police force, maybe on the take or addicted to something themselves. I definitely think the, the politician is clearly dirty and uh, only dropped all his shit. Like, well, I fucking lost. I ain't got no power now. So why bother continuing this shit? I think it was, I think all eight of those is a combination of a few that were going to talk and were silenced, a couple that were dealt with, and a couple that just actually OD'd and they had to do something with them. Right. Agreed, 100%. I don't think this is any one person. I don't think that the whole police force is involved. Maybe three to four. I definitely think, I think Frankie Richard... Oh, he's guilty as shit. (laughs) If... I don't think that he directly snuffed out the lives of these people or any one of these people a finger on but the hand. i definitely he is definitely a hundred percent a finger on the hand that in our humble opinions <laughs> that caused the deaths of these women um because i mean he's part of the drug trade and everybody knows everybody but nobody's talking um yeah. Nobody's talking because they've seen what happens to some of the ones who are talking, so that's why no one's talking. And there have been no further bodies found since that time. So we have the eight women that have passed away, six undetermined, two had their throats cut. Town thinks, and the town is divided. They didn't really talk about anybody from, like, the other side of the tracks. They didn't talk about uh, or to anyone from that side because, I mean, really nothing has happened on the other side of town. It's all just been the wrong side of the tracks where the working class people are. So if it is one person... I know. I let's just say sake of argument it is one person this is kind of a smart person to kind of do it in different methods of an OD an asphyxiation uh, undetermined and then throats cut that's a I mean what a way to throw off an investigation and that's, make you think that it is more than one person that's Henry portrait of a serial killer uh, logic there never never the same method twice well it worked well for him for a while yeah for a while um, do I feel like these cases will ever be solved? 
maybe on... Never say never. I'm going to say on Frankie Richard's deathbed. <laughs> I did it. Like, Beep. if he if he knows uh, he's dying, I think he's going to have a deathbed confession. I don't know. But if he's just kind of, you know, just dies in his sleep, un, you know, not knowing he's ill or whatever, we're, this, we're never going to know. This is a dude that's going to die drunk on the railroad tracks. You know it. Uh, we'll keep tabs on that. So, anyway, we have definitely gone over our time here. We have no time. Let's we make the times. Uh, I do like to keep it around an hour. So, we appreciate you listening again. And you can find my pages at Housewife of Horrors on Facebook. And you can also find me on Instagram. I post visuals so you kind of have, you know, faces to all these names that I talk about. And you can also send me future story suggestions there. Uh, in the Wednesday after next, we'll be heading back to just my list of ideas, unless I get a listener request between now and then. You got time. Submit something. Tiffany, thank you for an excellent suggestion. This one was another rabbit hole that did not disappoint. So you'll have to hit me up and let me know what your theory is, Tiffany, or anybody else that's listening. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, I totally appreciate it. And you guys have a great day. Stay scary and send me those suggestions if you got them.